The Plumley Pod, episode 23. Prepare to lift the lid on all things education, not indoctrination. Your voice of reason for home education. The Plumley Pod. And welcome to the Plumley Pod. I'm your host, Sarah Plumley, and today's guest needs no introduction at all. I have with me here Darren of Plymouth. If you are a Twitterer, if you're one of those people that have been on Twitter during the pandemic, the scandemic, then you will know this man very, very well indeed. Darren of Plymouth is a teacher, a fellow truth teller, a truth seeker, and a concerned member of the public. And I think he has every reason to be. Welcome to the podcast, Darren. And I'm going to dive straight in with, when did you twig that we were being scammed by the COVID-1984 business? Well, um, thanks for the wonderful introduction, Sarah. It's, uh, it's great to be on your show. Uh, so how did I twig? Well, I mean, I, Initially, I, my reputation before the COVID pandemic, and I use inverted commas there, began, um, I was a Brexit person. I was a big supporter of Brexit and I pushed it and I started making my name by you know, trying to, to make sure that the, the, the result was enacted as voted for. Uh, and then soon as the Brexit decision, as soon as Boris got into power, which I thought was a great result at the time, and um, and Brexit had been achieved, so we was all celebrating Boris had done great. At that time, there was the murmurs and the leaking out of information, videos, propaganda on um, Twitter in particular of a virus and people dying in China, in Wuhan. Uh, I bought it. I started spreading the fear. In fact, it's something that um, I'm particularly sort of embarrassed about because I was one of the accounts. I had a decent following. I had tens of thousands of followers. Um, I was helped spreading the fear and hysteria. And at that time, I was genuinely concerned this was a major world threat approaching us. However, at the time, I thought it was a dangerous virus and not uh, the beginnings of a totalitarian uh, a tyrannical authoritarian uh, governments and people in power, not just in the UK, but across the Western world in particular, who were out to harm us. Um, and I very quickly realised after Boris's speech, uh, where he informed the public that a lot of people were about to die, which I found really unusual, completely unnecessary, and not what you would expect from the leader of a country who was trying to usher in calm prior to a, a pandemic or, an, or a very dangerous virus that was going to kill a lot of people. You, you'd be asked, like you said, stay, like you said before we started speak, uh, recording, stay calm, yeah? That, that would have been the message, but it wasn't. It was lock yourself in your home and panic and hope you don't die and everyone around you is going to die. That was the message that was getting. And then I started to, th- I, I, you know, that made my hair stand up on the back of my uh, on my neck when he said that because it, it just stood out as something that was something that shouldn't have been said. And I started recording all the, the death stats. Uh, I started generating graphs. I started looking at the figures. I started looking at graph equations because obviously these were exponential curves. And I realized, you know, I'm a chemist by training, you know, and I've only got a chemistry degree. I'm not an expert or anything like that. I don't claim to be, uh, but it was quite apparent to me that uh, the, the, the equations for these graphs 
were similar or almost identical across the country, uh, across uh, across the planet, various uh, different countries, Europe and America. And it, it led me to the conclusion that these were artificially generated numbers, uh, that these weren't real deaths and, and uh, real cases. And obviously, there was the whole 30-day, at one point, it was 60 days after a, um, a positive PCR test. These were being counted as infections in cases. And obvious, you know, I mean, and it's obvious to anybody with half a brain that this wouldn't be a, a genuine or valuable way of recording this data. And I became very suspicious. And not only was I one of the first people to, to report on what was going on in China and Wuhan, but I was also one of the first people to, to sort of, in a mainstream way on Twitter with a large following to start saying, hey, this doesn't make sense. Uh, the PCR, PCR testing and the way they're using those results to, 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 to um, demonstrate that we're in a pandemic is fraudulent. And the, the, the case and death rates and the way that they were uh, continually going up didn't make any sense. It looked artificial. And I've continued from there. Unfortunately, my account at that time, the Darren of Plymouth Twitter account, and I can't even use that name now on Twitter without me being cancelled or shut down, um, it, it no longer exists. Uh, in fact, I've been through a, a numerous uh, new accounts since then. So uh, when, you, when you promote this video, Sarah, please don't say Darren of Plymouth because it'll probably get it'll probably get cancelled. <laughs> so that's you know that's how I realised that you know we'll be in lie to. And we're continuing to be lied to, and the public, I believe, are under attack. And you know, I've been desperately just trying to—if I could just wake one person up every day—you know—that's sort of a mission in in my life. It also coincided with me leaving the education system, so I brought up—you know—that I was a, a big Brexit supporter. I was very vocal. I was very outspoken. I did some political activities with the Brexit Party, and at the time, I was working in a further education college. I won't say which college it was, but, you know, I live in Plymouth, so it sort of narrows it down to a, you know, a choice of one. <laughs> and I was absolutely demonized. I was called a racist. I was called a Nazi. I was called, you know, um, uh, an extreme far-right white supremacist simply because I voted in a binary voting decision. I could only vote to stay in or, stay, or vote out. And so that that was sort of the, the environment that I was living in in the college, and it was a daily basis. I was literally the only person in my in my workplace that who was a, a, at least admitted to have voted for Brexit. I was surrounded by Remainers. I mean, and they were insane. You know, you can imagine the type: green hair, pink hair, uh, very sort of you know camp men. It was all these types of individuals, and they were all Brexit supporters. But it was okay. I put up with it. Um, but I did feel very sort of isolated and alone in, in the workplace. And I, I went back in 2019. I thought I'll try and stick another year out. Um, it looks like Brexit's going to be delivered, so I'll be having the last laugh. There'll be no Jeremy Corbyn government, which is what the people I was working with were, were hoping for. And um, one day, one of, my, one of my, my boss came up and she said, oh, uh, this student, um, I'll call him Bob, okay? Uh, Bob. He's about to, to transition. And I was just like, oh, my God. Why are you asking me to look after this student? You know damn well that I'm a Brexit supporter and a racist and a right winger, and I'm not going to agree with this. And it was done on purpose. They wanted to put this student on. He was one of my students in my class. 
classes. I teach science. I, I taught chemistry and physics. I taught a bit of maths, study skills, those sort of things. It was um, an access course, which was to put second chance students, students who had failed at school, to go into to university. Um, and I had actually been through this course myself uh, in years gone by. So I'd come back, you know, so I was actually quite popular in that I was a success story for the college and I'd come back to work there. And they asked me to, to, to help this student transition. And I made it very, very clear at the time that one, I don't believe that men or boys, as he was a boy like Bob, not his real name, uh, could become a girl. That I believe the student already had serious mental health problems and drug issues and that this was attention-seeking. Um, I was uh, called an extremist. I, 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 said I was called an extremist for believing that there was only two genders and sexes. Yeah? That, and, and maybe a third for very unfortunate and unlucky people who are born as hermaphrodites. Yeah? Whereas the people in my office, including biologists, believed that there were a hundred genders. And to think otherwise was... You know, like that there was something seriously wrong with me that I was um, uh, an, an extremist and somebody who didn't believe in inclusion, who who was a discriminatory person, yeah, for not believing that there was more than two sexes. And um, I was called Nazi online. I was I, I got I got so much abuse for this. Event and then I come in. I come in one day. I got I got a phone call. I got asked to come in. This student, Bob had made a series of complaints about me, and, and I had aired my views in a diplomatic and honest, factual way that I didn't believe that this agenda was appropriate, the, the trans agenda, that I didn't believe it was true, and I believed that it was very, very damaging to individuals and society as a whole, and in the education system, yeah, because, you know, it's really, really being pushed. Uh, this student had made a load of complaints about me, about things that I'd said, that I'd misgendered him. Even though I've never uh, come, up, never seen and still haven't seen the student in his um, uh, female uh, alternate identity. Um, and I was put on disciplinary. Um, it was eventually shown that the student had lied. Um, I was backed up by the rest of the class that I was teaching. The disruption now, of course, because I refused to, uh, refused to go into work until it had been resolved. Um, it, uh, oh, it was such an unpleasant time. The vitriol and hate, but you know, uh, 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 put towards me was, um, was something that I hadn't quite seen before. Even with the Brexit, um, you know, the, the anti-Brexit feelings and sentiments that I was getting from the staff that I worked with, it wasn't the same as this. Uh, my opposition to trans, you know, I mean, I was demonised. I couldn't even go into my office. I'm just a little bit curious. I want to dig into that a little bit. Thank you for sharing it with yeah. me. It's an uh, extremely alarming story. I, I was forewarned that, uh, about what had happened uh, to you. I cannot believe, though, what I'm hearing. And um, when, they, when they approached you initially, uh, asking you to, quote unquote, help transition a student, well, I, I completely agree with you, by the way, that, it's a, that there was an agenda there because of the, the way in which the boy then lied uh, and then was shown mm -hmm. to have lied about uh, you misgendering him or, or whatever other allegations uh, these fanciful people uh, fantasize about. Um, what was the what, what was the uh, primia fessia re reason? What was the original um, excuse, if you like? That's a better word. What was the original excuse uh, that the college gave when, when they were asking uh, you to help to transition? How, how were they expecting you, even at face value, to do that? Because I was a very popular teacher with students. I was also very, very supportive of my students. 
Uh, I was the one who helped students that were struggling, you know, which was a vast majority of the students because, you know, these were second chance students coming on to an access course. Most of them could barely read or write. Adults, you know, people who are over 18. Um, you know, I was quite appalled at the level of education. But anyway, I, um, I, I was the one who's doing extra hours, sometimes unpaid, particularly with chemistry, which students uh, uh, I found were really struggling with. Um, and this particular class, I already had quite a lot of involvement in. Now, I'm not saying that's the reason that they chose me, but I think that they chose me to indoctrinate me, to bring me into the fold, to make me, I don't know, uh, you know, so I, maybe I'll, I'll stick a, a little rainbow badge on to walk around with or wear a rainbow lanyard. I don't. I, I think it was part of the indoctrination of me. And it didn't stop there. Um, so uh, obviously I refused. Uh, and the student went from Bob, not his real name, uh, it was to be called Ophelia. That was the name, yeah? And I've never met it, but it's just, I mean, I was just like, come on, he's choosing the name Ophelia. This is a blatant attention-seeking um, approach. But it was also about the student gaining a power because he was quite a pathetic young man. Um, he was quite, he was fairly feminine. Um, he didn't really have anything going for him. He was fairly smart and intelligent. I'll give him that much. And it was just as I think is a lot with the, uh, of with a lot of these people in the LGBT community and the trans issue, because um, transphobia tops everything, doesn't it? I mean, to be accused of transphobia is almost like um, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's it's like a mortal sin, isn't it? It's above racism in terms of the the oppression hierarchy. Uh, and I don't understand when you think there's only you know zero point zero zero one percent of the population. Are, um, uh, are actually trans individuals, it's amazing how much power can be granted to them. So I, I think they wanted to bring me into the fold, make me more acceptance of this agenda. Maybe they even wanted to punish me for my views on Brexit because I was, you know, this racist figure. Even though my best friend on campus was a black guy from Cameroon and he spoke French as his first language. Cyril, Cyril, he was my best friend at college. I sat next to him and they used to call me racist whilst I was sat next to him. Yeah, the, the, the lack of self-awareness from supposedly intelligent people was, um, oh, I, 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 I used to fear going in in the end because I had to just sit in the presence of some of these people who I thought were borderline clinically insane. And these are teachers, you know, and it's not just in colleges. This just goes right through the education system, whether it's at university or a secondary school. Uh, a, a, a 80% maybe of the of the teachers that I encountered were like this. Um, anyway, the, the, the allegations all got proved untrue. And in the end, I said, the student needs to apologize to me for making up these lies about me. Um, I've been slandered. My name's been uh, rubbished. And the college also needs to apologize to me. Um, for the hell that they've put me through. I'm literally your most popular and probably most able teacher and definitely the most committed. You know, I was teaching international students from Malaysia and Indonesia as well at the time who, who came, you know, but still I was called a racist. Uh, the college refused. They said there was no way that they were going to ask the student to apologize to me. And it was at that point then that I went sick. And I went sick for a couple of months and then I got solicitors involved and said, I'm going to, I want, uh, I asked them for, I put a, what's called a subject 
uh, subject data access request. And I wanted every bit of information where my name was mentioned, including emails. I listed all the staff's emails that I wanted to have checked. Um, I wanted all the metadata. So if anyone's listening to this and you want to, um, uh, if you want to, to sort of get your own back on an organization, put in a subject access data request, make sure you ask for everything that includes your name and ask for the metadata. It's a really, really expensive task that any organization has to carry out and they are obliged to do it in accordance with GDPR and freedom of information. Uh, so I put in a subject access data request because I wanted the, the evidence to show that I'd been discriminated against and that members of staff were talking about me behind my back in emails and in phone conversations and in meetings. Um, and in the end, I got paid off. I just asked for some money for my, my contract to be um, uh, to, my contract to be honoured, and then I, I, you know, then you know, I, I'd have nothing to do with them. Uh, so they did do that. But the final nail in the head, and this is, you know, I laugh, but I also think this is really appalling. I got the NDA, the contract, and the very first line of the contractual terms and conditions said, "All terms in this." document that are explicitly male should also be considered female. That was the first line. And I did sign this because I just want, by then I'd had enough and we was about to hit lockdown and we had this pandemic unfolding or fake pandemic unfolding. Um, so I signed it. But even in the end, they had to embed their ideology in a a contract that they wanted me to sign, which I did, yeah, because I just wanted the, the, the whole situation to come to an end. So, you know, that, that's what happened to my teaching career in the education system. Um, it was the one thing that I feared was the trans issue. That and maybe um, uh, somebody in a full burqa, because I didn't want to teach somebody like that either. Um, not because I'm discriminatory or I have a necessarily have a specific problem with Islam, but because I was worried about having somebody completely covered that I couldn't communicate with. Um, so those are the two issues that I was really concerned about when I went into further education. And, you know, I was right to be concerned about that because the trans issue um, is the one that got me in the end. And I've been labelled a transphobe ever since. And the way the staff behaved, the best way to explain, when they found out they were going to have a student transitioning, the best way to explain the behavior of the staff or, the, or my peers was that it was like a wedding. It was like the greatest thing that had ever happened to that department. And we had biologists and psychologists and sociologists literally running around on about what hat they're going to buy and what dress they're going to buy. It was like that. Um, and I just couldn't believe it. I, I didn't understand why they wouldn't want to talk to the student uh, and maybe assess and understand his mental health um, rather than encourage him to change his identity, for him to, to encourage him to live out his fantasy. Yeah? And that's what I saw right across the board in the education system. They build up this huge infrastructure around disability and they encourage people to be disabled. Um, so, you know, but since then, I've been teaching online. I've, I've been really focusing on my anti-lockdown uh, sort of activities, trying to wake people up, a term that I hate, whilst, um, you know, I was, I was involved in uh, local elections and stuff. And, and now I'm here talking to you, Sarah, about the insanity that is the education system.
It certainly is. I, I can't disagree with you on anything that you've put forward there. Um, but I would, would like to touch on something that you've just brought up, uh, which is something very close uh, to my heart and, and, and absolutely in alignment with my experiences in the, in the classroom in the UK. You, you just said that they uh, en- encourage students, they encourage people to be disabled. And now I think I know yeah. precisely what you mean about that. Could you dig into, could you, for my, my audience tends to be uh, parents who are kind of already themselves, they've been indoctrinated okay. in the, the religion of, of school. And then they're not yeah. kind of aware of uh, this really, um, I think it's a, a dark, these are my words now, but this is a, a really dark and dangerous thing that's happening in schools. And it, it's being disguised with all the beautiful colours of the rainbow, not necessarily exactly. for LGBTQ reasons, but it, for, um, how would you put that? It, it's all sunny and it's colours and it's paints and it's fluffy toys and it's all it's nice and it's spectrum. all supportive and it's all to it's help. Inclusive. Yeah, please. Let, let us, yeah, inclusive. That's it. Spectrum, inclusive, inclusion. Di- yeah. The die religion, diversity, inclusion, equity. Tell me, yeah. tell me about how they're encouraging students to behave as though they are disabled, or in fact, even become uh, disabled. I mean, it's not just that they're encouraging students; they are actively, in, sort of, almost enforcing members of staff to find disability. So, uh, I said, you know, I said, I taught on an access course. We'd have our the student intake on the first day of the of the term in, in September, end of September. Uh, you have to get all the students to fill out their forms. Yeah, you know, they've got to fill out personal details, maybe finance details if they were paying for the course, their qualifications coming into the course, and obviously their disabilities, you know. And they would have a huge checklist. And then, you know, a bottom of all these different disabilities, whether it's dyslexia or dyscalculia or mental health problems, you know, eating disorders, whatever. They have a huge list of them. And my job as a teacher was to go around at the beginning of the term and make sure that every student recorded every disability that they had. Now, some students went in and generally were dyslexic or had mental health problems. That's fine. The average student coming in had no problems at all. But if they didn't, if I couldn't identify a problem or a disability or, you know, something wrong with their mental health, learning differences, um, if I couldn't, if a student couldn't identify that themselves, my job was to speak and sit down with a student and find one. Find a disability, Darren. We want it recorded. We'll go and send it. We'll go and get 10 other members of staff then to start messing with this student, uh, you know, trying to encourage and develop these, these, these differences or, uh, or, or disabilities that they have. And, you know, you'd have one teacher and 10 support staff per student. And... You know, it's really messed with students. It also interfered with their ability to actually study because nine times out of ten, they weren't in the class, they were getting counselling or they were in some special support group. And I I just couldn't believe that we were, um, you know, actively encouraging and promoting mental health issues and uh, disabilities and not focusing on the hard skills and the hard educational needs that these students had. For example, maths. You know, I was I was being um, you know I, I was being presented with students who are eighteen years old or older and were not able to you know do very simple mathematical calculations. They had no basic understanding of the physical world. Um, they were, you, most students were very 
um, uh, naive and unpolitically aware. And uh, none of this was really focused on in the, my educational experience within the system. It was more important for them to fit into one of the colors of the rainbow, one area of the, the spectrum. So um, I find this very disturbing. If there are parents listening to this, yes, my experience is in the further education field with adults. However, um, exactly the same sort of agenda is being played out in your schools. If you're, um, you're, you're sending your school to a mainstream uh, secondary school right now, then you will find that the rainbows, the, the, the LGBTQ stuff, and very, very specifically, the trans issue is being forced fed into your children. And I've met parents and I've spoken to parents, whether in my own real world experience or through my social media platforms, who have said to me things like, oh, little Johnny's at school. Uh, I find really worried because the most popular kids in the class are trans kids. And, you know, I, I find this um, a complete uh, a subversion and degradation of what it means to be not just a child, uh, but also what it is to be a human. And um, when I was a kid, there were no trans, no trans children. There were no trans people. There were a few drag queens. And I walk around my city now, and this week alone, I've been counting. Um, I, I've seen at least sort of five or six people who are openly transgender just walking around. And this is all coming from our schools, from our universities, from our colleges. And, you know, we uh, as adults, and particularly if you're a parent, uh, whether it's you know a, a boy or a girl or your children, you need to be approaching your schools and saying, I'm not having this. This is enough. And I don't want my children participating in any of this um, um, that subversive ideology. I think, I think it's disgusting. And you know, there's a there's, there's there's a lot of teachers that are pushing this. There's a lot of teachers that are pushing this, and if they are, they shouldn't be teachers. That's just my personal opinion. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and it isn't only the rainbow flag and the LGBTQ stuff, as you, as you touched on earlier, the encouragement of dyscalculia and dyslexia. Dyscalculia people is the uh, number version of dyslexia, so they say. Uh -huh. And I'm not denying that these things exist. Uh, there are certain students where you can tell by the work they hand in that there is a serious problem. But that has been enough. That has been enough for generations and generations. What's happening now is all kinds of... Um, inherently biased surveys are being handed out to parents and students, which actually encourage the answers that ultimately will come out in a, in a, diag a so-called diagnosis of dyslexia. This happened to me at university. Yeah. Um, I went, the, well, you have to, fit, like you said, you have to fill out the forms. Um, and the way in which I, I was a, a mathematician and the way in which the questions were worded uh, immediately set alarm bells ringing because I could tell by the way the questions were phrased which answers they wanted me to give. Now, because I wasn't switched on to any kind of agenda back when I was was that young, in my uh, late teens, early 20s, I didn't, I only realised partway through the survey that, oh my goodness, I'm being guided towards an answer that says I have dyslexia. Now, I know damn well I don't. Yes, sometimes my spelling sucks, I admit that. But that is, is more to do with laziness, more to do with my love of numbers, perhaps more so than words. And I was very um, alarmed at the, the kind of 
the, the, the way that I was being, I could see that I was being manipulated on, on these questions. Uh-huh. And I also thought, hang on a minute, there's no way I've got 10 GCSEs, which were almost entirely A's and A stars. There's no way I've gotten through five A levels, really good grades in hard subjects, and got to the start of my university career if I'm dyslexic, having had no educational professional ever notice it. I thought, this is nonsense. You don't need to be an expert in dyslexia to recognise that, hang on a minute, how's this kid got through all of that formal education and no one's mentioned Uh that there's a slight possibility that you could maybe perhaps be a bit dyslexic. So I knew it was nonsense. Anyway, to my horror, I'd already got halfway through this darn survey and I was thinking, oh no, it's going to say I'm dyslexic. Now, other people were uh, merrily ticking the right boxes because they knew that if you were dyslexic, you got a free laptop. Now, this was a problem for me because I needed a My laptop was broken yeah. and I needed one and I was a student and I was skint. Um, also, I had to pay for myself. Uh, I didn't have uh, rich parents or anything like that. So I had some student loans, yes, but I also needed to pay to live. So I was working a, jo- a couple of jobs in order to pay for everything. And I badly needed that laptop. But I wasn't prepared to lie. I wasn't prepared to say that I have a, um, a disability or that I have dyslexia in order to get one. Because uh, I just thought, this is so wrong. This is, this is, I didn't understand, I didn't understand the term, this is an agenda back then. I obviously do now. But I knew that, I, I could feel that it was wrong. Anyway, I went up to the lady at the front and I said, oh, I'm awfully sorry. Uh, please may I have another survey? She goes, oh, of course you can. Have you made a meth puppet? Here's another. So I sort of played her a bit. I kind of pretended that I was all nice and innocent uh, because I knew that I needed uh-huh. to change my answers because otherwise these these are lovely, well-meaning people, i.e. the cultists, were going to say that I was one of them. Anyway, I managed to get the survey. Uh-huh. I, I changed all my answers and it came back that I wasn't dyslexic. So A, I was correct that had I continued on the first path, I would have been dis- declared dyslexic as some of my colleagues who were not dyslexic were and they got the free laptops. And there I was, yeah. poor as a church mouse, still needing a laptop, but not dyslexic. Now, that's not to have a go at anybody who has uh, who genuinely has dyslexia, who has severe dyslexia. So, But what people need to realise is that severe dyslexia used to be dyslexia. They have been lowering and lowering the bar. So now if your spellings are a bit dodgy, you're now dyslexic. This is a nonsense. They are damaging your children. And what does that actually do to your child? You think, oh, my child's going to get the help and support they need. No, they're not. For the rest of their life, they are going to believe that there is something inherently wrong with them, that they are, they have special needs. That is a terrible thing to say to a child. It's an, even if it's true, it's an appalling position to put a young person in. I'm sorry, Darren, you've got me right on my little soapbox. I don't, I don't, talk no, no. about this because all you get is hate you get parents yep. attacking you because oh my son's dyslexic and you you hate you, dyslexic. you're being a bigot to... you're being a bigot <laughs> well, I mean, that's i'm the, doing it again that, that's the reality, isn't it it is yeah absolutely that's exactly what i've experienced darren it is that's exactly how it is and the other problem is because it's almost fashionable now isn't it oh, i'm dyslexic oh i've got a mental health problem oh you know i've got this disability or that problem uh, it's almost fashionable you know, and it's encouraged for for, for for young people, adults, children to walk around uh, in their daily lives, and you know whether it's at school or when they're at work, and go, oh no, no, it's all right, I'm dyslexic. Oh, that's okay then. You know, it's as if it's an excuse that can be used, readily used. And I'm not just picking on dyslexia; it could be it could be anything. Um, it's encouraged for you to use that as a tool to succeed, yeah? Or a tool to, to not do what's necessary to succeed um, because they're dyslexic. And 
it's almost like a, it's like this, it's that, it's that element of victimhood that we're encouraging in our students. And it's so prevalent. I mean, I, when I was working at college, I would spend, and you would have a similar experience in your own, own teaching activities, um, Sarah, that 80% of my time was spent on 20 or 30%, you know, it's the old Pareto analysis, 80% of my time was spent on 20% of students, and those 20% of students, whether they had disabilities or not, they definitely wanted to use that disability that they've been assigned, that they've been stuck on, you know, they've got the rainbow badge with dyslexic underneath, and they would use that as an excuse not to do any work, and I'd spend all my time, I'd say, why am I spending all my time on these students when I've got another 20, 30% of students who are doing really, really well, who could do excellent if I devoted some time to them, they could do unbelievable things. They're top students, but I'm not. I'm spending it on, on, on Dave, Rick, and I know, Leanne, who uh, are never going to achieve anything. They're here because they're getting their dull money paid if they go to college. They, they'll go on to university. They'll fly through university because I'll just keep waving the disability banner all the way through their, their, their course. Uh, and they'll be given a certificate that they don't deserve. And then we're going to send them off into the real world. They've got a physics degree that isn't worth anything because they didn't do any physics. And now they're building bridges that we're going to drive across. And I don't particularly want to be driving across a bridge that Bob made or that Rick built. Yeah, because you know, I'm not sure how safe it would be because I know how bad their physics is. And there are students who could do so much better. And you know, that's quite an elitist attitude. No, there was a time when we didn't have the student fee system that we have in this country where universities were picking the best students and then pushing them through. And I'm not saying that's like, you know, oh, damn, that's not equal, equal opportunity. It is still equal opportunity. You just have to do well at school. You have to do well at college in order to have that opportunity to study at university rather than the um, something that I was forbidden to say when I worked in, 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 at this particular college. I was not allowed to talk about equality of outcome. That was forbidden. That was almost like, that was almost as bad as being a transfer to say, oh, equality of outcome is not the way that we should be approaching our teaching activities and how we should be achieving our goals for these students. And yet that's exactly what they're doing. I'm sorry, nobody, nobody bar nobody wants somebody who is incompetent performing open heart surgery on them. I am sorry. I do not want no. the guy who was gifted through, oh, because it was harder for him because he couldn't read so well. No, I'm sorry. Yeah. Then being an open heart yeah. surgeon, a heart surgeon is not for you. We are all, you know, unique expressions of, of uh, whatever, of life. And we, we all have our talents and we all have stuff we totally suck at. I'm a, a very hardworking uh, amateur sportswoman. Um, I did you know, I refereed to very high-level uh, men's football. I was a semi-pro ref in the men's game. Okay. I was a, an international oh, assistant right. referee for in the in women's football. Um, I've also oh, played cool. county cricket and done a few, you know, real decent, um, real decent sports to a good level. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to be a high jumper because I'm five foot one. People, I'm never going to make it in the in the high jump. It just yeah. isn't for me. And I might really badly want it, and I might want to be the best high jumper. You know, and, and for my size, I could actually jump reasonably well, considering how short I actually am. But let's uh -huh. be reasonable. You know, my teachers, my 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 PE teachers, bless them, and my coaches led me down uh, different pathways. They they could see that well, anything that requires great height is not really going to be great for Sarah. And that just makes sense. We need to channel young people into the things that they are going to be good at, rather than 
and giving them fake certificates and, and making excuses for them all of the way through. Now, people who are listening to us, um, they might be thinking, well, okay then. We, obviously, we've not met before today. Uh, we've had very different teaching careers. Uh, you're in science. I'm in maths. You've worked predominantly in FE. I've worked predominantly in secondary schools. I've done some work in primary schools as well. But we're saying the exact same things. We've had the we've had almost identical experiences. So I think the next question that that parents might be asking is why. Why, Darren, why would the system be encouraging young people to think, to to, to grab a disability for them or to to grab a special educational need? Why are we encouraging students and or parents to to take one of these labels? Why do you think that is? I mean, that's actually, um, it's a very difficult question to answer. There has been as we're seeing now, this sort of long march through the institutions, um, there there has always been a left-leaning sort of attitude and character in the education system. Uh, Or it has been something that's been growing over the recent decades. Uh, This postmodernist view, which is sort of where it emanates from, and radical feminism, so where we see the, the trans stuff, and the you know the rainbow stuff, the equality and the diversity. I don't know. I mean, Douglas Murray always explained it as prior. You know, if we go back a couple of a couple of decades a couple of decades ago, we go back to the seventies and the sixties. You could say that the education system was incredibly elitist, um, and it was incredibly unfocused on people who had money, uh, uh, your background, where you came from, and how smart you were. Okay. And there were probably, if we go back to the 60s and, and, and beyond, there were probably a huge segment of students that were excluded from opportunity, you know, such as university. Yeah, so, but I think what's happened, as Douglas Murray is saying, is the train has pulled into the station of equality and diversity, where we had got to a balanced situation that was fair, and actually the train didn't stop. It's just kept on running. It's kept on going down this train track. There's a cliff approaching at the end of it, and the extremity and the um, uh, the, the severity of this ideology has just has just continued to grow and develop. And you can never be virtuous enough. You can never be um, non-discriminatory enough. You can never be too inclusive. Um, but other than that. I think these people have just all been ideologically captured. I believe that there is obviously something that's um, that's been going on in particularly at university level for decades. That's been very, very subtle, but now has started to grow. And obviously, these these those students say from the eighties are now the ones that are in who are running our education system. And I think there is also a case of. Um, there's some dark money. There are individuals, the elites, if you want to call it that, who actually decide, you know, you can imagine like a medicine school, who's 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 paying for all the, the medical staff to come out of, of universities? It would be big pharma, wouldn't it? Who's, who's paying for 
stuff, you know, politically, economically related studies. That would be people like, I don't know, George Soros. Again, I'm being very sort of conspiratorial here, but there are people who are in elite positions of power who are funding and promoting this type of agenda and ideology in our schools and colleges. And, you know, what their overall aims are, just the same with, with all the COVID stuff. What is the ultimate ambition? I don't know, but I believe it's the subversion of our children and our education system to fit the needs of people whose uh, agendas are probably unknown to us and hidden from us, although we could have some guesses. And, you know, I think the future right now is communism and we need these brainwashed individuals to come out with that, those types of thinking and ideas in their head to allow the, uh, this agenda to be achieved. So again, I probably didn't really answer your question, Sarah, because I don't really have the answers on that particular, um, you know, why. All I know is it's, it's happening. I've seen what's happening. I can evidence what's happening. And I'm sure there are plenty of parents out there who are deeply concerned about, you know, their, their, their child coming back, saying that they're a different gender or that they're no gender at all. I really, I really can't sort of, you know, uh, furnish my answer any further than that. But thank you. Other than that, it's deeply disturbing. And it is happening. It is deeply disturbing. And you, you did get, you got there. I mean, you, you, you took us through, I think, the, the two crucial components of, of what this is all about, the why, what we can see what they're doing. We can, we can see the devastating is effect the devastating effect it is having on our young people, not to mention the teaching staff, um, those of us that can see it, that is. Uh, but also uh-huh. the, 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 the money component. And um, all the good teachers are leaving. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. Or have already left. Um, <laughs> many people, left. if you're still there, then uh, you're either a cultist, you're in there, you're one of them, you're, yeah. you've, already got, you've, already di- you've already ordered the blue hair dye, or yeah. um, you can't, you are you can't see it. You you are you have no idea what you are involved in, what you are part of, and that that's that's that makes hairs on my neck stand on end because that sounds yeah. very much to me like um, in the future these people are going to be saying I was only following orders, and we all know uh-huh. where that harks back to. Yeah. I'm just going to very quickly read a tiny passage <coughs> from um, Dumbing Us Down uh, by John Taylor Gatto. Because it's just, it's okay. literally uh, the, one of the reasons you just gave as to why uh, this agenda, why this stuff is taking place. He says, uh, nearly a century ago, a French sociologist wrote that every institution's unstated first goal is to survive and grow, not to undertake the mission it has nominally staked out for itself. Thus, the first goal of a government postal service is not to deliver the mail. It is to provide protection for its employees and perhaps a modest status ladder for the more ambitious ones. The first goal of a permanent military organisation is not to defend national security, but to secure in in perpetuity a fraction of the national wealth to distribute to its personnel. It was this philistine potential that teaching the young for pay would inevitably expand into an institution for the protection of teachers, not students, that made Socrates condemn the sophists so strongly long ago in ancient Greece. I think he captures there the absolute bottom line that once you have a system, an organisation, its first goal is to survive and expand. Its first goal is not what it says on the tin. And I I found in education that the last thing that I was actually um, encouraged to do was to teach children to the highest possible standards, which, forgive me, but I thought that's what 
the definition of a teacher teacher's role pretty much was. But it was the last thing that I was allowed to do in schools was to actually teach the yep. children. So yep. it's a money it's a money game. I call special educational needs jobs for the girls. It's not job jobs for the boys is politics uh-huh. and, and the military industrial complex. But special educational needs, almost all of it is jobs for the girls. But it's worse than that because it's not only money. It the the obviously the people who are involved in it don't think for a minute that it's only jobs for the girls. They're obviously very well-meaning people, most of them, not all of them actually. There I have seen some darker sides of SEN workers. Um, in in my teaching career, but the vast majority of them want what's best for children. They think they're doing a good thing. I can actually statistically prove that what they're doing is actually hurting children. Uh, I got uh, in big trouble for proving that when I was working in the south of England. I did some experiments in my classroom and collected the data, and oh, the county were called and everything. That was a, that's a scandal for another day. <laughs> but uh, they don't they don't want you investigating the efficacy of teaching assistants in the classroom, and that's not to diminish um, the effort that these people put in. That's not to poo poo. Um, you know, their their uh, their personal effort, their blood, sweat and tears. I see that. I understand that. But we have to be realistic about what it is actually achieving. I used to say that, um, that uh, teaching assistants are like satellite navigation systems. Um, all they're doing is enabling a student to get from A to B under those precise circumstances. The moment SatNav's not there, these young people are stuffed. They have no idea how to get from A to B anymore because their support is removed. And let's face Mm -hmm. it, where is the special educational needs counter at the post office? Where is the special educational needs checkout at the supermarket? These things do not exist in the real world. And therefore, we are setting up these children Uh to fail. And actually, I don't think it's just the money. I think that's uh, the the simplistic answer. I, I, I do think money is a big factor, especially now. Uh, but what I do, what what I do see um, is an agenda, an agenda to make us weak, psychologically weak, academically weak. I think they want students as victims because then they are malleable. They are a malleable yeah. population. They will do yeah. what the states say. They'll hand over their money. They'll hand over their freedom in exchange for perceived safety. And yeah. to me, it, it, it's at the roots of this are extremely dark. And one of my great frustrations is that so-called awake people that are awake to big pharma, big food, the banksters, they're awake to geopolitics, all kinds of dark and, and, and uh, nasty things. And yet they're not seeing that the schools are the root cause of the whole shebang, the whole zoo, the whole yep. scam could not be pulled off. Were we not indoctrinating young children? Were we not training them to be yep. weak, to be needy, to be dependent? That is the opposite of the tenants of education. We're supposed to facilitate and inspire learning, not spoon feed. And this is, and to me, uh, it's all very well as going around waking people up. But until we stop um, the state putting people to sleep in the first place by sending our children to the state indoctrination centres, aka schools, then we're on a losing battle. And they know that we are. A lot of the abuse and and the... um, the time wasting and the atten- the negative attention I receive, be it online or in my private life, is as a result of the fact that I'm encouraging people to take action in the real world. The state want their sausages. They want they want people feeding yeah. the, the meat, the children, to the sauce, the state sausage making machines. And whilst whilst the the sheep yeah. are still doing that, and even awake people are dropping their children off at school every day because they've been indoctrinated into the the the, the state system themselves. 
whilst that's happening, we are not ever going to reach um, enough people to to make a to make a real difference to have a, a genuinely open, free, and fair society. It's never, and they know that. The, the people that we're against, our opponents, they are totally, totally um, aware that this is um, how, how the whole, the whole, thi- the whole thing's pulled off. One final thing that, about the money, because I know that the, I, I suspect the reason your college were pressing you so hard to find a disability is because they then get more funding because they have more they disabled paid. children. Of Absolutely, they get money. Um, well, something happened um, where where I was working in, in one of my schools uh, way before 2015. So this is sometime prior to 2015. I can't precisely remember. I can remember the school, but I can't remember exactly when I was teaching there. But anyway, um, I was given this new teaching assistant, another one, into a year nine mathematics class. So that's about 13 years old if you're not from the UK. So these kids are 13. Yeah. And this was bottom set. And there were supposedly 50% of that class had a special educational need. Now, I find that uh, hard to believe. I find that extraordinary. I think some of those people struggled with maths. Yeah, sure. But they, not half of them had special educational needs. Don't lie to me. Anyway, I had this new teaching assistant and she was brought into the lesson. Now, I, needed to, I was teaching um, percentages in the context of money, but I knew that there was a student who was so weak, she actually couldn't add and subtract in columns. So obviously, if you cannot add and subtract right. in columns, I can't help you do percentages in um, in a, in, a, in a money context, in a in a fiscal context. So I asked politely for the teaching assistant to take this one student down to the library to practice adding and subtracting in columns. While with the rest of the class, I was going to do the percentages because I knew the rest of them would be able to hack it. Anyway, uh, obviously, I didn't couch it in those terms. I was very polite and very kind about it. Uh, which sometimes is painful, but we do it because we're professionals, right? Anyway, I then got the boss of special educational needs at my classroom at break time reading me the riot act for making the teaching assistant for making the teaching assistant feel uncomfortable. I said, "What do you mean?" She said, "Well, this teaching assistant needs a bit of um, a bit more training. Um, she, she wasn't comfortable being asked to teach adding and subtracting in columns." I said, well, what are you doing putting a teaching assistant in a year nine mathematics class who cannot Tell add and subtract Alan. in columns? Like, I was furious. And she, so this is money. This is like eight yeah. or nine grand a year that is being spent on this woman in my year nine mathematics class. And she cannot add and subtract in columns and doesn't feel comfortable teaching that to a 13-year-old who, bless her, really needed help, Shouldn't really needed class. to learn how to do that. It's like, this, this, this woman needed to be, be in, in class, my lesson learning. Yeah, she shouldn't be being paid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that yeah. that's when I realized that hang on a minute, this has got nothing to do with helping the weakest children. This whole thing has nothing to do with helping the children who struggle the most. In the end, I threw out the teaching assistants from all of my lessons. Um I caused absolute mayhem uh, because I, I realized that, that actually they are doing more harm than good. Many of them are, are utterly incompetent. And those, even those that are competent, what they're doing is providing a satellite navigation uh, service rather than uh, helping children actually learn to map read and to navigate for themselves. I, I, I guess I've uh, not spoken too much out of turn there based on, on your own experiences. Yeah, I mean, and it wasn't just the teaching assistants. You know, there, there were people who were teaching science, biology, physics, chemistry that I worked with that, you know, basic maths was was almost beyond them. And it, 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 I, it, I found it unbelievable that, you know, the, the, the teachers and the educators aren't educated themselves. Um, why would you stick an artist in a maths classroom? It makes no sense. But that's the sort of thing that was happening. Uh, the, the two things that I got told when I first started uh, working um, uh, in further education was, 
One, my boss said, literally, as soon as I got given the contract, Darren, because I'd been there as a PGCE student the year before, uh, Darren, don't tell us, stop telling the students the truth. That's, that was like a statement made to me. I, I was like, and, and, and here's a whole list of words like God. Can't use the word God. Yeah, a whole list of words that I wasn't allowed to discuss in my class because I might be uh, deemed offensive. And the other buzzword that they loved, yeah, resilience. We must build resilience into our students. And then we would surround them in cotton wool and tell them how disabled they were. And don't worry, you can use this disability, this, this disability excuse for the rest of your educational and work career, for the rest of your life. Boast about it. It will really help you. And, I, and so, you know, the, the, what we was doing really was the antithesis of education, the antithesis to resilience, and I wasn't, you know, I wanted to run debate classes and I wasn't allowed to run debate classes because the topics I wanted to debate, one of them being the trans issue, were completely off limits. I couldn't talk about religion. I couldn't talk about politics. I couldn't talk about uh, the, 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 the trans uh, issue. I couldn't talk about some of the race, racism issues that are, or other cultural issues that were really beginning to spring up in the Western world at the time, I wasn't allowed to even have debates with my students about it. Who wanted to debate? Most of these students wanted to discuss these issues in my study skills class. But um, because there was a whole list of topics I was told I wanted to talk about, couldn't have it. Um, so we don't build resilience. We build dependence. And that's feeding into what you were just saying, Sarah. These students are coming out. They're dependent on the state. They have no real concept of reality because they've been taught all this inversion, as uh, David Icke once said, and we've got him into the conversation. And, um, you know, we've just created mindless, zombie-style slaves who will do exactly what they're told from the TV or from their mobile phone. And that's why we're in the situation we find ourselves in today, Sarah, with COVID, with the LGBTQ stuff. And the other one was obviously Black Lives Matter. If it wasn't for the indoctrination of our students, we wouldn't have all these, what I would consider crazy people burning down our, 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 our towns or in America in particular during 2020, we wouldn't have had all these people on the streets. We wouldn't have all these people, you know, rioting and protesting right now about Raid versus Roe if they had some just very basic science education and hadn't had their brains washed by the state, you know, particularly with Raid versus Roe in America. So um, I, I find the future for this country and elsewhere quite concerning because um, some of these people are going to be in power. In fact, some of these people may already be in power yeah, right now. And, and uh, culture is downstream from politics. And, you know, I, I think things are going to get a lot worse. They're going to get more extreme uh, as these agendas are continually pushed before it gets better. And uh, I actually have a podcast of my own, which I'll stop, but you know, I'm about to start again. And these are some of the things that we talk about. And, and one of them, my friend Rohan, I call it Rohan's pendulum. What we may find is that the pendulum can only go so far to the left before it snaps back and swings in the other direction. And we may find ourselves in 10 years' time or 20 years' time at the other extreme of conservative or, or sort of maybe even a theological type um, agenda that's being pushed on our kids. I don't know. but. Um, yeah, there's hope. There's hope that we can find some balance. I like this Rohan's pendulum idea. Well, it can, it can only go so far. Well, for sure. It can only go so far before it snaps. 
This morning I saw, well, I rewatched it this morning at the weekend. I saw um, uh, a placard that had been uh, drawn in the United States. I think it was outside the Capitol building in D.C. And this this young, young-ish woman, uh, so she wasn't a child. This was, you know, somebody that was obviously an adult. She had this placard which read, Guns Kill, Abortions Save Lives. And I just thought, wow. That right there, peak science, isn't it? Peak science. That the science. Yeah. How can yeah. how can a grow? I already know the answer to this, but I was incredulous that right there in front of my face was a placard: "Guns kill, abortions save lives." Now, I don't even want particularly to get political about this. Just basic facts. I mean, what do you mean? Abortions kill huge numbers of uh, unborn uh, children. That's not, um, I'm, I'm sorry, that's not even a, a debate. That, that That's a, a statement of fact. And this woman was there defending her placard. She was, she, in fact, she wasn't even aware that she was being asked to defend it. She was so brainwashed that, and that's that's how I would describe it, literally she has been brainwashed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm sure she's Technicized. got a degree. She might even have two, but she absolutely, um, you know, has, has gone to the trouble of painting this placard: "Guns kill, abortion save lives," without apparently having the um, the skills to to think through what it is she's writing and why she's writing it. And you touched on it just before, where um, you were talking about uh, the indoctrination happening at schools, and then it being um, uh, how do you how do you call that? It being elevated and. Um, enlarged by by the television and by social media. I always say that schools are where the hardware is installed. Your children get yeah. state state nonsense, the hardware installed during their school career. Then it's the television and social media that is used to amplify um, and to uh, up, upgrade and upload uh, new software as and when the agenda takes a little yep. twist or a little yep. turn. That's why you that's see exactly these pro-EU flags. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. When, why you see these pro-EU flags changing to blue hearts for the NHS, changing to I've had mm-hmm. my vaccine, changing to Ukraine it's, flags, it's Ukraine. and God knows what the, the next, the latest thing is going to be. So that, so for me, the hardware is installed during the school years and the software uploads keep going, running yeah. and running and running. And that is exactly why you've got the Branch Covidians, the, you know, the cray-cray Ukraine people who have never been to Ukraine, don't know anything about the Ukraine, probably couldn't Can't find it, on a map. it out on a map. No. Yeah, they certainly couldn't beforehand and probably most of them still couldn't now. And it, yeah. it, it does to me, I, I can't stress enough um, how much I am absolutely certain that that's how the scam is being pulled. That is how the, um, you know, the, the whole the whole control of the state over citizens is being done by children being sent to these indoctrination centres. And just because yeah. you can't see it, just because Miss Honey has blonde hair and rainbows and birds and fluffy cotton wool clouds in her classroom, it doesn't mean she isn't part of it. Of course, she's not aware yeah. of the globalists. Of course, she's totally ignorant about right. Ukraine. But it doesn't mean that she isn't yeah. harming your children and harming their yeah. future. So what, what do we say, what do we say, Darren, to these to, to these parents whom we want to support, we want to help well, them get their children out of school? What do we say to them to 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 persuade them that, you know, guys, we're telling the truth. We're trying to rescue your children. Yeah, there are, and I, I mean I literally had a similar conversation with my friend this weekend saying, you know, you need to get your kid out of school. You need to you need to have a look at other avenues for your child 
to receive an education. I'm not saying I want I can't say to a parent, hey, don't get your GCSEs, don't get your A-levels, don't go to university and get a degree. Because actually, those pieces of paper, those certificates are still vitally important in the meritocracy that we live in. If you haven't got a first-class degree in this day and age, your opportunities for employment are going to be drastically reduced. Um, So, you know, I have to say that because it's true. It's a sad fact. I've got some homeschool children of my own and their parents are coming to the realisation, yeah, I'm going to have my child homeschooled. He's not going to have any of this woke nonsense rammed down his throat. He's still going to get a... A, 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 a an education that's aligned to the mainstream that will allow them to to achieve these pieces of paper which are effectively worthless. You know, my degree cost me what seventy thousand pounds in total, probably. You know, I know it's effectively worthless, but it's still the ticket that allows me to walk through a door to an employer if necessary, or give me the credibility if I want to teach myself online. However. If, if, if you really should start thinking about one, approaching your schools, questioning what they're teaching, and if there's some of this crazy stuff, the rainbow stuff, the Ukraine stuff, the COVID stuff being rammed down your child's throat, then you need to pull them out of this class because kids are young, impressionable, what you're doing to their minds and the worldview that you're creating in the minds of children now are likely to persist in the future and they will be just become a puppet a malleable puppet for the state. Um, so the answer is taking your children out of school. That, I mean, that's the answer. Send them to me. Send them to Sarah. It's it, do whatever. Sorry, do, do whatever because you can't. No, not as well. I agree with you. Do it. Do whatever. You don't don't necessarily send them to me. Don't necessarily send them to you. Uh, but do whatever yep. because whatever you do cannot be worse than where they are now. Where they are now, they are not getting an education. Yep. Standards in English grammar, mathematics, science, everything are through the floor. They're being given uh, GCSEs in climate change stuff that is blatantly not true. Um, this is yep. not education. You're being I mean, lied to. The education that you get, we got, um, you know, if we're sort of the age of most parents now and perhaps a little bit older than us and a little bit younger, the education that we had wasn't as bad as what is being handed out to your children now. It is probably the worst education dished out to anybody since formal education began. I mean, you're a math teacher, Sarah, and yesterday I... uh... Uh, I did a foundation GCSE paper. It was at the beginning of summer, and I'm doing I'm doing a sort of summer of maths with some of my students because their maths isn't great. And, and I did this GCSE foundation paper. Maximum grade you can get is a five, which is like a C. And and the the low expectations that you could draw from some of the questions in this maths paper was I mean it's shocking. There should be no student leaving school. That, that couldn't get a maximum mark in this particular paper. There, there should be, you know. If I was given that exam paper, and I think it was a 2019 AQA GCSE math paper foundation level, if I was given that math paper when I was at school, or if you was given that math paper when you was at school, Sarah, you would have considered it a joke. You would, you, you would have gone, this is so easy, I can't help but nail and get 100% in this paper. Uh, and, and when I was at school, which is what, why I did my GCSEs in 1994, um, the, the the difference in standard is night and day, night and day. And as I saw at college, the aim is to lower the standards 
so that they can give out as many top grades as they could. And in my particular field, it was about getting students into university. All they cared about was that they had a 100% success rate going into university. And it didn't matter how poor the student was, they all went to university. Equality of outcome, not equality of opportunity. And these people are then are then going to breeze their way through um, university. Um, and, and I'm sure when you look at the standard of exam papers now, you will see, you'll, you'll obviously agree with me on this, that the standard, it hasn't just dropped. It's dramatically dropped. I wrote a whole essay on it on my PGC. I said, here's a graph. 1980, the UK was like one of the top three or four um, countries in the world for educational standards. When I left, when I finished my PGC, I think it was like 2016, um, the, uh, the Britain's place in the league table was down sort of like 27th, 30th on the planet. You know, we used to be, we used to, people from around the world sent their students to the UK to learn. And, and although that does still happen, um, I think you're far better off going to an Asian country um, to, to, to learn because you're going to get a much higher standard of education than you would say in the UK, where you know people can literally not read or write. The real bummer is this is a real clincher. Not only have we dropped 20 odd places, but actually the overall standard yeah. across the globe is getting worse in most in most yeah, yeah. countries. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 it's, it's a, a lit, quite literally a, a race to the bottom. It's it's, it's stunningly bad. And I love that you bring up the exam papers because I've literally just stopped marking uh, to, to do this recording with you. Uh, I'm marking GCSE paper one for mathematics this year for uh, the top exam board in the UK for maths, supposedly. It's, it's, it's the top exam board for maths in terms of the number of, of candidates who sit that paper each year. It's about three quarters of a million people right, sit this okay. paper. And I'm, I'm plowing my way through 15,000, 16,000 questions now. Um, and the not only is the is the standard um, so some of the harder questions are you know up there on on the higher tier paper they are they they would match some of the old O levels um, but it's the it's where the middle is it's where the mean is the vast that's how they disguise it they give a few really difficult questions at the end but the the sort of average mm-hmm. question on the paper is so much easier than it used to be and you can show that very very quickly. But in addition to that, the way in yeah. which we are marking, the way in which we are being asked to, to uh, award marks for these questions has also changed. And it, it's not for the better, I have to say. I'm currently collecting data because I'm going to do a study on this uh, because I'm, I'm fed up of, of, of seeing it and I want to share it with other people and show them. Look, look at what I'm being asked to do. Look at how weak these students are. We're talking, these are, these are the higher tier students. So I mark the best students in the country down yeah. to about halfway, right? So I'm only marking the upper, the upper echelons of, of uh, mathematicians that are at 16 years old, the best people, the very best people. And I am seeing huge numbers more than ever that cannot add, subtract, multiply, and divide. I mark the non-calculator yeah. paper. I mark paper one. So the, the one where they've got to do it themselves. And it is B. Beyond yeah, appalling, yeah. and when I show it to par- when I show yeah. snippets to parents, they are horrified. They are absolutely horrified. These are the children who've been hammered. They have been over prepared. They've been exam prepped out of their minds for the previous three or four months to sit this paper. And I'm sorry, the results are uh, appalling. Truly, truly, stuff that I just I wouldn't tolerate in my classroom, let alone on, on a national examination. Yeah. And I'm being asked to give some of it credit yeah. 
where I wouldn't even give it credit in my classroom. And I, I do find that um, people don't believe you. So what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to collate the evidence, do a study and, and, and show people because I, I finally decided that, you know, the, the way forward is right. You know what? Come and get, go and give me an hour, hour or two of your time, and I will show you. And then you can make up your own mind what you want to do with your yeah. children, uh, because I know it won't be. I know what you won't want to do after you see it. After you see, I, I think parents are holding on to this notion that, that, that there's still children are getting some kind of magic education still in English and mathematics. No, they're yeah. not. They're really, really not. And they don't know. They don't. They don't question their child, do they? And their child's not necessarily always going to be that forthcoming with what's going on in the school. And not only that. I mean, the attitude now, especially we see it in America. You know, the teacher, the teachers are telling the children, "Don't, don't, don't go home and tell your parents what I've just, you know, what we're, what we're talking about in class." Whether it's a cultural issue like you know the LGBTQ stuff, or an educational issue about the, the content that they're learning, and you know, so if, if you're a parent and you're listening to this podcast, you need to you need to actually actively encourage and engage with your child to find out what's going on in the schools because I can assure you there's some stuff that's really, really untoward. And you mentioned about the, the marking scheme. I was looking at the marking scheme for this foundation paper. And if I'm truly honest, I couldn't make heads or tails of their marking scheme because as far as I'm concerned, one plus one can only equal two. And if the answer isn't two, it's wrong. But yeah, they go, oh, if you've got one, you know, if they've got 1.9 to 2.1, you give them half a mark. And, it, and, and there's all these different sort of shades of grey in the marking scheme that allow the, allow the teachers to sort of just by hook or crook pass students. And that's what I, I, I found at the college that, you know, these students that I was teaching who have come out of secondary school with poor qualifications, poor reading uh, skills, poor vocabs, unable to uh, have, have, no, have no numeracy, have no experience of algebra. I remember one, teacher, one student saying to me, and he was in the Navy, and I was just doing like A, B, a, B equals C. Yeah, A plus B equals C. Well, it, you know, very simple, a, a very simple algebraic expression. And, and how to rearrange these expressions. And the student said to me, how can you possibly know this, Darren? Yeah, And I'm the teacher. I'm like, well, I'm the teacher and I learn and I can read. Yeah, uh, And that was the attitude to a lot of students that were coming out of secondary school. Their, their, their basic education was so poor that um, uh, every day I had my jaw on the drawer in shock, uh, my jaw on the floor in, in shock at the, at the levels that I was uh, working with. The mark scheme there, I wasn't going to talk about that today because uh, obviously because I'm in it and I'm a specialist and that's what I do. I'm an examiner. I, I bore the pants off of people. But as you raised it, um, the mark scheme that is publicly available isn't the half of it. I'm just going to show, the, the people won't be able to see this, but I'm just showing Darren now my no. actual mark scheme. So he can see yeah. the, the the stuff that's been typed is uh, the stuff that you would be able to download from the internet for a, a mark scheme for a, a past paper. But uh, he will yeah. see that more than 50% of that page is covered in my scribble, some in green, some in red. Yeah. That's the extra stuff yeah. that I am and am not allowed to give. And it's extra instructions. The, the extra instructions that tell us how to apply the mark scheme is way more information than the mark scheme. So we're not even being totally transparent about how these things are actually marked. Now, I have to say the marking is, is good. The examiners are doing an extremely good job. Now, I was very skeptical when I became an examiner. I thought, oh yeah, I bet this is as garbage as the rest of the education system. But it wasn't, you know? I was really impressed with the standard. But even, even, even though that's um, the case and we're rigorous and we check things so painfully carefully, 
that we're still not, it's still being hidden. The stuff that we're really giving and really not giving is still not publicly available information. That stuff is, is being handwritten by people like me during a process called standardization, where examiners learn how we're going to interpret the mark scheme for this particular paper. It's not as simple as look at the mark scheme and that's the, the marks that got awarded. It's not that simple. Yeah. Um, and yeah, an awful I mean, lot of teachers the, don't have that experience. An awful lot of teachers mm-hmm. are marking mock exams. They actually don't know how to mark. They haven't a clue how GCSEs are marked. They just think they do. And, you know, uh, going back to the interpretation of the mark scheme, you know, uh, the, the marking schemes that I have seen that come, you know, that come associated with a past paper, you know, I, I, I look at them and I go, God, this is, this is way more complicated than the, pa- the paper that they've given. You know, um, I, and I'm a very black and white person. I'm a, I'm a trained scientist. And, you know, there's so much, what I found in the marking schemes was there's so much leeway and ambiguity that, you know, you talked about standardization. Um, I, I, I think if, if we want to, to, to improve our education system, we need to go back to traditional methods. We need to go back to the 70s and the 80s. We need to go back to teachers that were working from the blackboard, uh, from the blackboard in an almost dictatorial, lectorial le- type of way. I'm not sure if lectorial is a word. I've just made that up. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in teaching from the front and not all this lefty, let's all sit around. The t- you know, teachers, students should be facing the front of class, for example. Yeah, even the way that, we, that, that classes are set up and we've got everybody working around tables and that, I believe is uh, a, um, a counter to, to good educational practices. And the students that I teach at the moment, most of them are homeschooled. They're far smarter than the students that I teach who have been in the mainstream education system and are either on their summer holidays or they just in additional tuition or they've been pulled out during the COVID pandemic. The, the, the critical thinking that I find in students that are homeschooled, it, even if they don't necessarily have the hard academic skills in terms of maths and English and science, I find that they are far more able to learn and question than students of the same age in the mainstream education system. So, um, well, I mean, the answer for, for parents is, you know, they need to consider either the school that they're sending their kids to or pulling them out of mainstream education, even if the ultimate goal for a GCSE or an A-level or whatever that qualification might be, might be the same. Um, I, I think that students would do far better with somebody who... Um, somebody who has a similar attitude to, to, to me and you um, uh, about how the education system is currently being run. I've taught home ed uh, students to A-level in mathematics. There is, just because you're yeah. home edding, it doesn't mean that you're, you know, digging the vegetable patch and singing Kumbaya, as I like to say. No, no, you no. can still have a thoroughly rigorous academic education that is mm-hmm. done from home. And at least you don't get all of the garbage rammed down your throat. And, and, and worse than that, or better than that, I should say, I'm going to sort of wrap this up with your, with you, with your words. Um, we don't build resilience, we build dependence. No. In schools, yeah. we do not build resilience, we build dependence, dependence upon the state. And I think that absolutely nails what education or so-called education has become about in our country. I think it's an absolute disgrace. Thank you so much for your time this morning. I have loved, this has been like a real good old-fashioned staff room chinwag, um, although you wouldn't yeah, be allowed to do around. this kind of thing. We'd have to go to the pub, wouldn't we, to do this? Yeah, um, yeah. In, a, in, a, in, a, in a class, in a, in a staff room these days, we'd, we'd get both get booted out of school, I'm sure. Um, but I 
I've really, really enjoyed uh, that. And it's it's so, um, it's been quite cathartic for me to kind of hear another teacher also having these experiences and, and these same problems with uh, with the, the, the system. Uh, please, can you tell us, uh, Darren, where uh, listeners can find you because they might want science tuition, okay. they might want to contact you, they might want to follow sure. you. Please, can you just lay out where we can find you? My main and easiest way to contact me would be through Twitter. For as long as I've got an account, it's starting to get a little bit on the bigger side now, so I might get shut down. But you can find me on at Plymovian, P-L-Y-M-O-U-T-H-I-A-N, Plymovian. Um, and also, you could uh, you could email me on uh, Darren out of Plymouth, uh, one word, at gmail.com. If you want me to, to to help you with any sort of science needs uh, or maths or or any other uh, educational needs that your child may have, uh, my my roster is slowly building up. I now have about eleven students, and I'm expecting to pick a few more up. In fact, I've got a meet. I've got a, a Zoom meeting straight after this with um, somebody who wants me to do the whole A level chemistry syllabus. Um, nice. So yeah, please please contact me. And, you know, and I will say just final, final, my final comment is that I personally believe I could teach the whole of the GCSE chemistry syllabus so that a GCSE certificate would be granted at the end of it probably in a year, just a couple of hours a week. Whereas actually in the mainstream education, they've got five years, but most of what they're learning has absolutely nothing to do with chemistry. And so that's that's the difference. And, and I do have a few students where that is the aim, where ultimately they'll be getting a recognised qualification um, to allow them to sort of operate in the mainstream whilst actually getting their education from a non-mainstream source. So again, you can contact me on Twitter or or by email. Thank you very much. I'll put both of those things in the description uh, so that people can can click through and and find you. I'll make sure that goes out with, uh, with this podcast. Um, That just leaves me to remind everybody that I'm teaching Rescue Your Children. That's Rescue Your Children on the 4th, 5th, 6th of August. Uh, You can reserve your seat for that three-night webinar. It's a three-night webinar on the 4th, 5th, 6th of August at 8pm. And you can find that at sarahplumley.com forward slash rescue hyphen your hyphen children. That's Sarah Plumley, Sarah with an H, uh, Plumley, P-L-U-M. L-E-Y, sarahplumley.com forward slash rescue hyphen your hyphen children. And I will take you through training, uh, all of the things that you can source, much of it for free, um, and how you can fit it around your busy schedules. I reckon you can home edge your kids to a supreme academic standard in under two hours per day. Gorilla ed all the way, gorilla education. Thank you very much indeed. And Darren, I, I know that you've been told this before, Stop telling the students the truth. Absolutely brilliant. (laughs) How dare I? (laughs) Never, ever stop telling the children, your students, the truth. Thank you very much indeed. My pleasure. Thank you, sir. Take back your individual sovereignty and that of your family. Visit sarahplumley.substack.com and subscribe for free to stay up to speed with all things education, not indoctrination.